We're ready to start our Passover Seder. We are um, in part two of our study on the Lord's Supper in light of the Passover. And uh, we're going to begin the way that the Jewish people would begin, and that would be with the host. You're going to have to pretend that today I am a man and I'm the host, okay? And they would wear their yarmulke, not up there, but I don't want to mess up my hair, you know, back here. But the host would begin the Passover with a prayer. So if you would bow with me, let's offer the Kaddush, the blessing. Blessed art thou, O Lord God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who hath chosen us for thy service from among the nations. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us in life, who has preserved us, and has enabled us to reach this season. And now, Lord, as Christians, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, they would not do that. They would not pray in Jesus' name. Well, then the next thing that they do at their Passover celebration, and this, you know, we looked last week, week we discussed the original Egyptian Passover, the once-for-all real Passover, and then we looked at the permanent Passover memorial as Jews celebrated the Passover for the next 1,500 years until the Lord came, and we looked at the Passion Week Passover, the way the Lord Jesus himself would have celebrated the Passover with his men. Now today, we're going to talk about the contemporary Passover celebration. There have been some changes made along the way since Jesus died and they no longer have a temple. And that's what we're going to be celebrating today is the contemporary Passover celebration. And then we're going to look at all of that in light of the Lord's Supper. But they would begin today, if this was Passover, the Jewish people would gather together with their family and friends, and they would not only begin with the Kaddish, the blessing, but then, because for a whole month before Passover, the Jewish people were to cleanse their houses of all leaven, they would have someone come forward. The host would take a little bit of leaven, this is just symbolic, and put it on the floor, and then have one of the children, such as, I've asked Jan Matsk, And she has volunteered to do this. She is going to wear our yarmulke, pretend like she is a little boy. And she will sweep up the little bit of leaven. For 30 days before the Passover, they would go through their houses and clean clean, um, fanatically, even taking all their pockets of their clothing and turning the pockets inside out and laundering them and scrubbing all their pots and pans and going through all of their cabinets. Now I don't know what you're going to do with it. But thank you. And thank you very much. Didn't you do a good job? <laughs> and they would make sure that there was absolutely no leaven in their house. And in case they had missed some, they had a, this little prayer that they would pray saying, Lord, if we have missed some, it is now as if it is not existent in our home. So that is very, very important for them to remove all the influence of evil from their homes. Now, the reason they would always have uh, unleavened bread, as we're going to be discussing this morning, is because on that original Passover, I don't remember if I said this last week, but they had to eat in a hurry, right? So they didn't have time for the leaven to raise, rise their bread. So that's why they ate their bread unleavened. Of course, it also is symbolic of, of the influence of evil. As long as the temple... Oh, and there's one more thing. Forgot our mother. Now we have a mother to come up here. Joyce, there she is. The mother would then come forward, and she would light the Passover candles, which we have up here. She would 
pray a prayer. So this is Mama Joyce, and she's going to light our Passover candles, cover her eyes, and then say a prayer over the lighting of the candles. Cover your eyes. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by his word, and in whose name we light the festival lights. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mama. As long as the temple stood in Jerusalem, which was only some 35 years following the Lord's death, the Jews continued to celebrate the Passover in much the same manner as Jesus and his men celebrated it during the Passion Week, except for, of course, the washing of the feet. Normally they would wash the hands. And then after the Paschal meal was eaten, he did something unusual when he lifted up the unleavened bread and broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body. That was unusual. I might have to put that one out going wild for some reason but um they, they would they would have celebrated it for the next 1500 years pretty much as the lord did except for those two exceptions and then with the destruction of the temple and the dispersion of the jews from the land in 70 a.d there was no longer a temple right and no longer an altar and no longer a um a priesthood so how did the Jewish people survive as a people and not become amalgamated or assimilated into the other cultures in which they were dispersed? How did they stay a separate people once they were scattered after 70 AD? Well, against all odds and through <clears throat> all kinds of um, uh, Gentile centuries of Gentile oppression and intense persecution, they survived by nurturing the memories of their past through their religion and through their feast days and through their holidays and their traditions. But of all their feasts, Passover, their memorial of their redemption, their deliverance from Egypt, took on the most new meaning for them. This is since the time of 70 AD. The dispersed Jews began to embellish and add to the required scriptural ritual of the Passover celebration in order to intensify its meaning. So they added a lot to the Passover. Special songs were written that weren't required in the scripture, Old Testament. Additional lamps and candles. You don't read about candles in the Passover of Egypt. Um, they were added, and um, all this stuff was done in order to increase the measure of brightness and hope to the festivity. And some new foods were added. We'll talk about them. And some new observances were adapted to the Paschal meal. But although the traditional four cups of wine, you notice you each have four cups of, of wine in front of you, which is really Hawaiian punch, and not too much of that, because I can't even trust you with wine punch. <laughs> The four cups of wine remained, as did the bitter herbs. Everybody's got a little bit of bitter herbs on their plate. And the unleavened bread. Those things remained. Yet something, something was very conspicuously missing. What is missing on your Passover plates that the Jews would have had on their plates before 70 A.D.? The lamb, exactly. From shortly after the time of Christ to this very day, the Passover feast is celebrated without the Passover lamb. That in itself is amazing, isn't it? It's like having a birthday party without the birthday cake. Now, that would be a big no-no in your children's eyes, your grandchildren's eyes. 
Now they do have on what is called the Seder plate, and uh, this is an actual Seder plate. If you want to take a good look, I can't tip it or everything will fall over, but that is the actual Seder plate here. It's got six little divisions in it, and you can come up and look at it. But they have on what uh, they have on it what is a, a, a roasted lamb shank bone, and I am doing a no-no right now. Forgive me. I'll tell you about this later on. You're not supposed to raise the shank bone up in the air like this. I'm not supposed to lift it up, but I'm doing it just to show you, okay? It does have the shank bone on it, but no meat at all. My husband cooked all the meat off of this lamb shank bone. This no meat lamb bone reminds them of the Passover sacrifice when they did have a temple, which is no longer possible. In fact, for some 2,000 years now, the Jewish authorities have told the people that the unleavened bread, the matzo, takes the place of the lamb. This takes the place. And the authorities, the religious authorities, the rabbis have said this, which is very meaningful. This takes the place of the Passover lamb. On the first plate, they actually have three Seder plates like I just showed you. On the first plate are to be three, oh, three matzos. Okay? This is the first plate. Three matzos. Three and only three. On the second Seder plate, besides the lamb shank bone... They are, there are the bitter herbs, which are to remind the Jews, you've talked about this, of the bitterness of their bondage in Egypt. The parsley greenery, I forgot to put a radish up here on my plate, but the greenery on the Seder plate serves the Jews as a symbol of newness of life and springtime. Passover occurs when? In the springtime, late March, early spring. Parsley is also to be symbolic of the hyssop, which was used to apply the blood to the doorposts of the Jesus uh, of the Jews' home, you know, back on the original. So this reminds them of the hyssop. And as Christians, this points to Jesus, the Passover lamb, who was offered bitter vinegar to drink, given to him upon what? Hyssop. John 19:29 He took all the bitterness of sin and bondage to sin and death upon himself. Then on the third Passover plate which I don't have up here a third one but on the third Passover plate would be salt water and vinegar. It's just water and you've got one too with the V on it. It's water with a little bit of salt and some vinegar in it. The salt water is to remember the tears shed by the Jews under their bondage the tears and the vinegar again is to remind them of the bitterness of their bondage as slaves in Egypt also on the Seder plate is an egg this is the you know you don't get it on your plates but on the big main Seder plate is an egg roasted as hard as a billiard ball the reason I can do that is because this is a wooden one you wondered why it didn't crack. <laughs> I was afraid to try to get here with a real one and break it. This egg is seldom eaten, and it is never painted. <laughs> so why is there an egg on the Passover Seder plate? God did not include an egg in his instructions for the Passover memorial service in the Old Testament. You can read it. There's no mention of an egg. 
The Jewish rabbis have absolutely no answer for why this mysterious egg is on their Passover plates. But then, think about it, neither do we Christians have an explanation for why children paint eggs and search for eggs from none other than a bunny rabbit on our celebration of Easter. Actually, the egg was a pagan Babylonian symbol of life out of death. Christians, Christian Jews, took this symbol of resurrection and they incorporated it into their celebration of Christ's resurrection and it likely got onto the Passover plate originally by Christian Jews who likely also brought the egg into our um, Christian celebration of the resurrection. Now, another item found on the Seder plate that was not commanded by God is the sweet brown cheroseth paste, which is, on your plate, peanut butter. Because uh, normally it would be, you know, that mixture of apple cinnamon, vinegar, dates and figs, etc. But I just went the easy route and got jiffy. <laughs> now, Jews have added this, of course, you know, because you did your homework, to remind them of the red clay of Egypt their forefathers were forced to use to make bricks for Pharaoh. And the sweet taste of this pastry mixture is symbolic of the sweetness of Israel's deliverance from Egypt and from slavery. Also, and I'm, I didn't have enough pillows for you all, but upon each chair at the Passover celebration, every person would have a pillow. Why do they have a pillow? You know this too because of your homework. This was to serve to remind them of the fact that Israel's forefathers as slaves in Egypt were not permitted to recline while they ate. Due to God's miraculous intervention and deliverance, however, the Jewish people no longer have to eat standing up in fear or in haste, you know, in order to return to their master's bidding. So they're free men and they can recline as they eat. And so that is what the pillow at everybody's seat reminds them of. Then to open the service, after all that we have done, the father raises his glass and chants the prayer. They do a lot of chanting. Um, I'm not going to chant the prayer right now, but it is a prayer of sanctification, which would have been the very same way that Jesus opened his final Passover memorial service. And then everyone at the table, along with the host, everybody pick up your first cup. This is known as, see it up here, the cup of sanctification. Everybody together takes a sip. You can drink your whole cup of the cup of sanctification. And remember, the liquid is warm and it's red. Now, this isn't too warm, but it's supposed to be symbolic of what? Blood. Blood. So the wine is mixed with four, five parts water, or it's actually the regular fruit of the vine that has not fermented. And this cup, cup corresponds with God's promise in Exodus 6, 6, I will bring you up out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Next, a small towel and a bowl of water are brought forth, and the host dips his fingertips into the bowl and dries them with the towel. And then, then the host... Oh, this is heavy. <laughs> then the host um, would normally pour water into a basin and take the towel 
and go himself to everybody at the Passover meal. They would dip their hands, he would give them the towel, and they would buy them. And now what happened that was different at the Lord's final Passover? At this very part in the Passover Seder, which means order. Seder is just the, the Hebrew word for order, the order of how they celebrate their Passover. It was at this point we know that the Lord, instead of carrying the bowl to wash everybody's hand from person to person, he took off his robe, he girded himself in the towel, and then he stooped down and washed their feet. So at this point, I want everybody now you see the bowls in front of you that don't have a V on the bottom of them? That's just pure water. Dip your fingertips in the water and then take your napkin and dry your fingers. And remember, if the Lord was here and it was the Passion Week, he'd be washing your feet right now. Well, then after the washing of the hands came the first dipping of the food. The bitter herbs. Everybody get your radish or your parsley were dipped into the salt water and vinegar. So the one with the bowl with the V in it, dip, 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 and eat, eat, eat. I want everybody to eat until tears come rolling down your faces. <laughs> Ew. Um, you can eat one or the other. Save a little parsley for your sandwich later. Uh-oh, too late. All right, we'll save the radish then for your sandwich later. <laughs> the Talmud says this. The Talmud says, just as your parsley dipped in salt water vinegar at first tastes sweet and then bitter, so was Israel's experience in Egypt. At first they were treated well, remember, and they were settled in the best part of the land, Goshen. So at first sin is sweet, isn't it? But later their lives were greatly embittered. So that is what that's supposed to remind you of. At first, it was a bitter experience. I mean, it was sweet. I don't know. Mine didn't taste sweet at first. <laughs> but then it was bitter. Well, next, the host focuses his attention on the, the unity. That first plate is called, even though there's three matzahs, this plate is called the unity. Interesting. The oneness. Always there are three wafers of unleavened bread on this uh, unity plate. It never, ever consists of just two pieces, and it never, ever consists of four. Always three. And again, the rabbis do not know why. They do not know why, and they strain at a gnat to explain to their people why there are three, and yet they're called the unity. It's called the unity plate. They have said that it has something to do with the three groupings of the Jewish people, the priests, the Levites, and the nation at large. Yeah, at large, I can't, at large. <laughs> or they say that it has to do with the three roles, the divine roles of prophet, priest, or king. Or they come up with the answer that it has to do with the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they admit and they know that they are straining with those reasons. They do understand that the matzo symbolizes the unleavened bread that they were to bake in a hurry when they left Egypt. Well, the host takes out the middle matzo, the middle matzo, and he breaks it in half. You see, Jesus 
was half man and half God, was he not? And then he takes one half of the matzo. Can't find my napkin. He takes one half of the matzo that he broke. Whoo, that's a big napkin. (laughs) And he wraps it up in a white, uh, it's a, a special white linen cloth. He wraps it up in a white linen cloth. And again, the rabbis have no rational explanation for all of this. At this point, all the children, age 30, you have to take Jackson out. (laughs) All the children, 13 years of age and younger, would leave the room. They all would leave the room, and the host would take the wrapped-up matzo and hide it somewhere in the room. Um... I'll hide it under the pillow, okay? All right, let's see. This buried or hidden middle wafer is called by the Jews, how many people know? Afi, anybody know? Oh, you don't know. Okay, I'm so excited to teach you something new then. Afi Komen, that is called the Afi Komen, that broken half of the matzah that's wrapped in the white linen and hidden. Now, what does all this Afi Komen business mean? Why, to begin with, are there three pieces of matzo included in the unity from which the middle one is removed, broken in two, and hidden? For the Jews, this part of the ceremony presents a very puzzling question for which they have no authoritative explanation. They are not sure how a Greek word... Afikomen is a Greek word. They are not sure how a Greek word suddenly got into a Hebrew celebration when everything else is Hebrew or Aramaic. Neither are they able to satisfactorily explain why it always is to be the middle wafer that is broken and half of it hidden away in a white napkin. But to us Christians... It is easy to see how God uses the elements and even the parts of the Passover Seder that the Jews themselves engage in annually. If we were at a Passover Seder, they would be doing just what I did. Not really knowing why, it's easy for us to understand that the three matzos represent the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The middle matzo is God's Son, the true Messiah, their Passover lamb, the very one they are celebrating but don't know it, don't know it. Um, and he was broken. He was, you know, died for, for their sins, for our sins. Um, the matzo itself even represents his perfection because it has no leaven in it, right? No leaven speaks of no evil. And um, it, it symbolizes Christ. A half man, half God. The middle matzo is broken, signifying his death. Now, I don't know if you can look at your little piece of matzo closely, but you will notice that the matzo is full of stripes. You see the stripes going down? And it's full of holes. That's a result of the cooking process. Isaiah 53, 5 tells us that it was with Christ's stripes that we are healed. Psalm twenty two sixteen tells us how they pierced his hands and feet while John 19:34 tells of the Roman soldiers piercing the Lord's side with the spear even after he had already died on the cross what piece of food could better 
represent, symbolize the Lord Jesus Christ than the matzo, the unleavened, striped, pierced matzo cracker. And then it's wrapped in a white napkin, even as Jesus was wrapped in his bur- for his burial. The afikomen is then hidden, just as Christ was hidden away in a tomb for three days. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, and there is great rejoicing and reward for those who find him, as we'll see when the children come back in the room, all right? Now, the word afikomen, as I said, is the only Greek word that appears in the Passover Seder. They have no explanation for it. Most interestingly, the word afikomen has one of two meanings. It can actually mean both things in Greek. It can either be translated as he came or the coming one. He came or the coming one. In its name, then, the afikomen speaks of both his past coming, his first coming, he came, and his future coming, the coming one. It gives me goosebumps. And they go through all this, and they don't see it. That's the sad, bitter part of it all. Well, after the afikomen is hidden, the children are brought back into the room. And this is the, you know, well, no, they don't look for it yet. Okay, they're brought back into the room. Then an, an ancient prayer in Aramaic is recited. The host holds up the unleavened bread, and then everyone recites this together. You don't know it, so I'll say it, but we would all be reciting this together. This is the bread of affliction, which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of this world. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Remember what Jesus said? Come unto me, all you labor and weary laden, and, you know, those who are hungry, come and eat of me. Let all who are in need come and celebrate Passover. That's what they all say together. And then they add this phrase. They say, this year we are here, next year in the land of Israel. This year we are slaves, next year free men. That's their prayer, that next year they would be free men. In this added little phrase, they are saying that even though they're already free, you know, from Egyptian slavery, they are still in bondage. And they know that because they're not yet free from Gentile oppression. Would you say the Jewish people that Israel is free from Gentile oppression to this day? Absolutely not. They understand that it will not be until the days of the Messiah that they will be a redeemed people who are truly, truly free. And they do believe that the Messiah will come on Passover, that he will redeem them on Passover, which is interesting because he did. He came. They missed it. Although they, you know, so they're saying they not until Messiah comes will they be a redeemed people. And they are referring to physical redemption. But Christians know that what Israel really needs is her spiritual redemption, which will occur when her Messiah does come to deliver her and she finally accepts him. Well, it's then at this point that the youngest son asks his three questions. Remember we discussed this last time? And the youngest son, I didn't know this before, I wish I had, but the youngest son was always to sit at the right, oops, right, (laughs) on the right of the host, which is exactly where John was sitting. So we do know for sure that John was the youngest disciple. This is when the youngest son who could read would ask these three questions to the host. He would say, and and this is done in order to... um, 
to be obedient to God's repeated command in the Old Testament to teach the story of Israel's redemption to thy son. They take that seriously, so they teach the son. The questions are, why is this night different from all other nights? On all other nights, we eat leavened or unleavened bread, but this night only unleavened bread. Why? Second question the son would ask, on all other nights, we eat all kinds of herbs, but this night only bitter herbs. Why? Third question, on all other nights, we eat meat roasted, stewed, or boiled, but this night only roasted meat. Why? And as we found out last week, it is very interesting when the Lord was celebrating his last Passover with his disciples. It was at this very point in the Seder that the youngest disciple, John, leaned over and asked Jesus, Lord, who is it? He asked him a question. Of course, the question was about the betrayer. But how perfectly, how perfectly fitting that this occurred at the same time when normally the youngest son would ask the host questions. Well, then the host either reads from the Haggadah, which is a book that they have. The host would have this at his at his place setting. Now, the Jews read from back to front. You know, normally we would read a book like this. That's backwards for them. They read a book from the back to the front. So you start backwards. And this is what tells him what to do. Every step, like this is where I got what they do. It's from the Haggadah. Haggadah is the Hebrew word which means the telling. They say, and it comes from Exodus 13, 8, when God said, tell your son. Keep telling the next generation about our deliverance from, um, from, from the Egyptians. And so he will use this to tell the children there at the table about God's call of Abraham out of the idolatry of Ur, which we talked about last week. He will tell them about all the hardships of the Hebrews in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh. He will tell them about the punishment of the Egyptians, the dividing of the Red Sea, and the giving of the law to Moses there at Mount Sinai. And when he begins to recite the ten plagues, God poured out on the Egyptians at the mention of each one of those ten plagues everyone dips their finger from one of you I don't know which glass but let's use whichever glass you have some Hawaiian punch in do with me as I mention each one of the plagues you dip your finger and take that drop and put a drop on your plate and when I mention the second one put a drop the next plate. Go around your plate like a clock. Okay, there's going to be ten. So I want ten red drops around your plate. So that now I'm the host. This is called the cup of when, oh when is okay. Never mind. I'm skipping. The, I'm jumping ahead here. All right. Here's the ten plagues. Ready? Everybody, dip your finger. First one, blood. You know, we turn the waters to blood. All right, one drop. Next one, frogs. Second drop. Third, lice. Ew. Fourth, flies. Ew, we had a fly in here to remind us. <laughs> Diseased cattle. Next drop. Boils. Horrible, huh? Next drop. Locusts. Next drop. Darkness. And then the last drop, the death of all the firstborns. And when, when your plate has 10 drops of wine filled on it or around it, it is referred to as the cup of iniquity, the cup of iniquity. And then the question is asked, is it for these judgments? 
on the Egyptians that we praise God? Is it for these judgments that we praise God? And the answer is given by the host, no. It's not for these judgments that we praise God. For God loved the Egyptians, you could put the Gentiles in there, even as he loved us. But it is for God's infinite infinite mercies that we praise him. And this then sets the stage for the singing of a very happy song called Dayenu. Did I say it right? All right, which means it would have been enough. And now Rita is going to explain to us this song that they sing at their Passover Seder, and we're going to sing it. Okay? <laughs> okay, she said that it's, it's Dayenu. I tried to put it where you could actually, like in our how we kind of read uh, and it, it is that would have been enough and I want to tell you that this is the, probably the most famous of all the cedar songs that's sung and it can, contains the root of spiritual understanding and lists all the good like she just said all the good that God has done for the Jewish people through history um, the Dianu has 15 verses and we're not going to sing them but uh, the the one thing about this is that each one of the verses tells about um, a wonderful and separate gift of what God did for them, but the pieces work together, and when you have the whole thing, you have it all. So um, on the stanzas, the first five are uh, that uh, pertain to the lowliness of enslavement. The second five describe the miracles that God did for them, and the last five are the closeness of God to them. And... Um, I wanted just to run through just really quick on this, uh, how their song is set up, because we're not going to actually sing it exactly how, I mean, it's the tune and the words are going to be fine for the first verse, but, but what they did was the song itself is saying, if God had just taken us out of Egypt and not executed judgment upon them, that would have been enough for us. But then it's like, but no, if God had have not, had have only executed judgment upon them, but he hadn't executed justice on their gods then that would have been enough so each verse is saying one other thing that god did for them so it goes through he brought us out of egypt he executed judgment upon the egyptians he executed justice upon their gods and he slay their slew their firstborn and he gave them wealth so those first five are um the lowliness of the slavery then the next five would be if he split the red sea for us he led us through on dry ground he drowned our oppressors uh, he provided for our needs in the wilderness for 40 years and he fed us manna so see those are the miracles that god did for them and then the last one if he had not if he he gave us the shabbat shabbat, is shabbat. That, that which is like their sabbath time when they were to rest and actually teach their children because that's not a um option for them for them it's absolutely necessary to teach their children about all this then he led them to mount sinai he gave them the torah and he brought them into the land of israel and he built the temple for them so what they're saying is it would have been enough if he had just done this but he continued to do this we're going to all sing the chorus and i was going to do it a little bit slow at first so you can get it and even if you don't get the tune just you know sing out and um, and then we'll go back through it and we'll do it like fast because it's a happy song because you can see how this would be really happy for them. So what I'm actually saying is had he let us out of Egypt, only let us out of Egypt, had he let us out of Egypt, day anu, that would have been enough. You see what how that goes? So this is how the, how the song goes. Ilu hotsi hotsi anu hotsi anu mi mi triim hotsi anu mi mi triim day anu 
Day day anu, day day anu, day day anu, day anu, day anu, day anu, day anu, day anu, day day anu, day day anu, day anu, day anu, day anu, day anu, day 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 anu, day anu, day anu, and well, and when you see how it's spelled, you, so it's Dianu. Okay, so now we're going to speed it up a little bit. Okay, you got to go. Okay, here we go. Elu hotsi hotsi ano hotsi ano me me tryim hotsi ano me me tryim Dianu. Come on, Dianu, Di Dianu, Di Dianu, 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 Di Dianu. Die, die, anu, die, die, anu, die, anu, die, anu. Hey! Appreciate that. It is a happy song. God does so much for us. Well, after they sing this jo- joyous song, the host then makes special at- uh, mention of the three biblically commanded ingredients of the Passover memorial, which are the Passover sacrifice represented by that roasted shank bone of a lamb, the bitter herbs, and the unleavened bread. He explains the meaning of each one of those. Holding up, as I told you before, the bitter herbs and the matzah cracker, but not lifting up, not lifting up at all the shank bone of the lamb. This is absolutely forbidden because lifting it up would give the lamb bone the significance of a real sacrifice. Therefore, it remains on the plate to show that it is only a symbol of the Passover lamb. The Jewish practice of not holding up the shank bone is very significant, even though they don't realize it. Again, they don't realize it. They probably don't know really why they, well, because it would, you know, indicate a real sacrifice. But Jesus, you see, has completed the work of redemption. He was lifted up once for all and declared from the cross himself, it is finished, tetelestai. He will not be lifted up again. You know, those churches that lift Christ up on a cross and call it a crucifix, that's wrong. He died once for all. He doesn't still hang on the cross. The cross is empty. Um, he, he will not be lifted up again. That puts him to an open shame. To lift up the lamb bone would be a picture of the re-sacrificing of the lamb of God. Very significant. Well, then the first part of the Hallel is sung together. They do a lot of singing. The Hallel, this first part would be that they would sing the words of Psalm 113 and 114. And that's significant if you go back and read those psalms, you'll see Jesus Christ all over them. They sing that, and then the second cup, the cup of praise, is lifted up. And, and it's, uh, the, the, the host says, this is in remembrance of God's second promise, I will rid you out of the Egyptians' bondage. And everybody drinks from the second cup. So everybody, uh-oh, I knew there'd be a spill. Ready? Drink. <laughs> mm. That tastes good. Then, 
all the participants are to wash their hands a second time. Remember, they wash their hands before the meal, during the meal, after the meal. So everybody dip your hands in the water, your fingertips, and then dry them with your napkin. And this is done in an act of respect for the unleavened bread that you are about to eat. You're showing your respect by cleaning your hands before you eat the unleavened bread. The host then breaks one of the unleavened loaves, you know, that was on that first plate, and he pronounces a blessing over it. And he then gives a piece of this broken unleavened bread and some bitter herbs. Now you all take a piece of your... Let's see, is this when you all do it? No, that would just be the host. Okay, the host just does it. All right, I put a piece of bitter herb, and then I put some peanut butter on it. <laughs> oh, it's going to get messy. Um, of course, that would be cheroseth paste, and that is called a sop sandwich, right? Well, actually, they call it um, a Hillel sandwich because Rabbi Hillel identified this with the slavery of their forefathers and he said they were to eat it until tears formed in their eyes so they call it a Hillel sandwich but I'm going to call it a sop sandwich this um, was then given the sop by the host first to the guest of honor seated at his left which would have been Judas but then he makes one of these for everybody else who is seated at the Passover table this is referred to as the sop, and this was, of course, during the Lord's final Passover meal with his men, was when he gave the sop to Judas. So, um, why do we, well, let's all do that together. Okay, everybody make yourself a little sop sandwich. If you have any parsley left over, you have a radish? Okay, ready? Aim, fire! Oh! Not too good. <laughs> It's better if you put a lot of peanut butter on it. Mm, don't talk with your mouth full. Now, people often wonder why John did nothing to stop Judas after Jesus handed him the sop. But remember, the Lord's statement about the identity of his betrayer was he it is to whom I give the sop could have really been mean, meant, taken to mean anybody because then the Lord gave a sop to everyone else. So you can see again why John would have been a little bit confused, although Judas did receive it first. Well, when the sop had been distributed to every person at the Passover celebration, the meal itself was then eat, eaten. So this would be the time that we would all enjoy a sumptuous meal. Um, chopped liver. <laughs> Gefelta fish. Ooh, yummy. <laughs> Matzo ball soup, salads, cookies without leaven. You know, any kind of pastries they'd have would have no leaven in them. But they do have some wonderful foods, and we would all enjoy food together. And then after, now everybody pretend like you just ate a big meal. Guess what you do again? Wash your fingers. All right, after the meal, everybody, again, washes their hands. And then the third cup of wine, which is called the cup of redemption, is lifted up, and um, let me find my place, this reminds them of God's third promise, I will redeem you, it's the cup of redemption, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, Exodus 6.6, 6. didn't Jesus redeem his people with outstretched arms? Absolutely. 
on an old rugged cross. And this third cup was the cup that Jesus then connected with the Lord's Supper. He's making the transition now. Judas is gone. Judas got the sop and left. So now he takes up the third cup and he says, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. The cup of redemption. And then comes the prayer for the coming of Elijah. Elijah, all, all during the meal, everybody keeps looking at Elijah's place to see if the food is disappearing and the wine is going down. The kids especially, hoping, oh, I think I saw the wine go down a little bit. You know, they're hoping so much that Elijah, a place is set there every year for Elijah. The host sends one of the children, Jan, Jan, where's my child? Run to the door and see if Elijah's here. Quick. Yes. Run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what if he, wouldn't that be funny? I should have posted somebody out there. Go, gah! <laughs> All right, run to the door. Is Elijah there? Oh, and then everybody together says, maybe next year. All right, maybe next year. And then everyone sings the second half of the Hallel, which is Psalms 115 to 118. Again, we don't have time to look at what all those psalms say, but you know what's included in those psalms? These words. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. They sing. That's part of what they sing at this point in time. They do all this not yet knowing and recognizing that the cornerstone they rejected is Jesus Christ, who did come with outstretched arms to redeem them on the Passover as the Passover lamb. And he was already heralded by, the, by Elijah, John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah's already been here, right? Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God. Well, now is the time that the children eagerly, eagerly wait for Jan. <laughs> Come on, Jan. <laughs> yeah. Find the afikoman. All the children are, they, they get up now. and they, Remember, they were out of the room when they hid the afikoman. Yes. So the children look for them, and they search everywhere. And, every, and the first child to find the afikoman gets a reward. The first child to find it gets a reward. Everybody rejoices when she finds it. He, and she gets a reward. That's for all your trouble. <laughs> See, it was worth it being a child. Wow. wow. <laughs> all right, you can sit down. There's your lunch. You're going to have some more bitter herbs. <laughs> all right, so everybody rejoices when the child, you know, they make a big deal about it for the children. And um, there's joy, you see, in the resurrection. So according to, um, to the, well, of course, it's unwrapped. It's unwrapped, taken out by the host. But uh, according to the rabbi's instructions, this is the Jewish rabbis. Oh, it got broken in the tomb. Uh-oh, not good. Um, everyone of, at the Passover table must then eat a piece of the broken matzah that was hidden away because the Jewish teachers themselves say that it takes the place of the Passover lamb. 
In fact, they say that the Passover Seder cannot end until each participant has eaten a small piece of the afikoman. The rabbis say that in eating the afikoman, the he came, he is coming, in eating it, they are remembering the lamb. So everyone, normally now I would break this and give you each a piece, but just eat a piece right now of your unleavened bread and remember the lamb. Well, then, after a benediction song was sung, one more time, everyone at the table raises their glasses as they drink from the fourth cup, which is called the cup of acceptance. The final cup is to commemorate God's fourth Passover promise in Exodus 6, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. The cup of acceptance. Now, it's very interesting to realize that Jesus never drank with his disciples from the fourth cup, the fourth cup of acceptance. With the drinking of, then I'll get to that in a minute, okay? With the drinking of the fourth cup, the Seder is ended. And then happy songs and festivities continue on well into the night right (laughs) well into the night but the service is officially ended with a final prayer for the rebuilding of jerusalem that is the modern day passover celebration now i'm going to talk about the lord's supper it was out of the jewish passover that jesus instituted as you know the lord's supper when he and his men had finished eating their Passover meal. You know, when I got to that part where I said this is where they ate the meal, they would then have eaten their lamb, etc., and all their food. He then, after the meal was over, he then took up some of the unleavened bread on the Passover table, and he blessed it. And the common Jewish blessing is, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth and then jesus broke the matzo and he gave a piece to each of his 11 men judas was gone the lord's supper is only for true believers and then jesus said take eat this is my body jesus the bread of life the true manna who came down from heaven to be born in bethlehem bethlehem which means in hebrew house of bread was about to be baked in the fire judged for the sins of the world by almighty God he would die he would be wrapped in a white napkin and buried after three days he would be brought forth from the earth in resurrection glory what was that prayer blessed art thou O Lord our God our king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth In his absolute sovereignty over all circumstances, the Lord, you know, was buried on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. How appropriate. He is the unleavened bread, the bread of heaven. He was buried on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Of course, crucified on the Passover as the Passover lamb, buried on the day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. For 1,500 years before this night, 
that the Lord had his Passover celebration. The Jewish people had been observing the Passover by killing a spotless, unblemished lamb. Now, the true lamb of God was about to be crucified on a Roman cross to die for the sins of the world. The reality had come, so the shadows and the types and the illustrations and all the sensory aids that we've been going through, all these things were no longer going to be necessary. No more little lambs would need to be slain on the altars in Jerusalem because the once-for-all Lamb of God paid in full the price for sin. Matthew 26, 27 tells us Jesus also took up at the third cup of the Passover service. Now, see, don't get confused because we went through what they do today, and now I'm backing up and telling you what Jesus did with his men. He would take, He took up the third cup of the Passover service, gave thanks, and then said to his men, this is after he said, take eat of my body. Then he took up the third cup, the cup of what? Redemption. And said, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the many, for many, for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine. He drank the third cup, but didn't drink the next one. Until that day when I drank it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He drank the third cup, put it down. It's the Lord's Supper. The Lord told his men that he would not drink of the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance, until the day when he would drink it with them again in his Father's kingdom. You see, the fourth cup, which he didn't drink, was the cup of acceptance. Jesus had come to his brothers according to the flesh, the Jewish people, and had offered himself as her legitimate king and Messiah, as David's greater son. But as we know, the nation corporately rejected him, right? They did, she didn't accept him. So the kingdom was not established at his first coming. Jesus couldn't drink of the cup of acceptance with his disciples, who would reign over the 12 tribes of Israel, because Israel had not accepted him. He'll have to wait to drink that cup with his 12 disciples and with Israel when? At the time of his second coming, when Israel will finally accept him as her Messiah and Lord. And then during the millennial kingdom, he will sit down and he will drink the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance with them. And then at long last, God's fourth Exodus 6 promise will be fulfilled where he said, I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. Now, I forgot something. I had taped it up here so I wouldn't forget it, and guess what? I forgot it. The Afikoman, back to the Afikoman before I close. The Afikoman, over the years, the Jewish people have developed various beliefs about this, and they have evolved among different groups of Jewish people all over the world, and some of these are fascinating. They don't understand the Afikoman, you know, the hidden matzah that was wrapped in the napkin, but um, these beliefs that they have to this day give further testimony of the truth that Passover speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, after the annual Passover service ends, many Jews will take a small piece of the afikoman, you know, the special one that was hidden. They'll take a piece of it and uh, they'll keep it in a, take it home and put it in a safe place in their homes. And they do this to make sure that they have a piece of the Afikoman to take with them in case they would take a voyage by boat or ship 
during the course of the following year. You see, the reason for this is that they believe the Afikoman has miraculous power to calm the winds and the waves of a storm at sea. <laughs> One can almost picture Jesus, right, standing in the midst of the storm on the Sea of Galilee and saying, peace, be still. Ashkenazi Jews, which means Jews from Europe, European Jews, also believe that the, the Afikoman, they'll take home a piece of it because they believe it has the power to heal the sick. Amazing. See, everything that the Jews do and say and sing about and celebrate and even superstitiously believe with regard to the Passover points to the greater redemption offered to them by their own Messiah, the true Passover lamb. That greater redemption is their spiritual redemption. Although the Jews were long ago set free, weren't they, from their slavery in Egypt. They are to this day, and this is not only true for the Jewish people by and large, there are saved Jews, but for most people in the world, most people today are still firstborns. They are still slaves because they are in bondage to sin and to death. They need to be forgiven. They need to be redeemed. They need to really partake, to really spiritually internalize the truth of the bread of life, the one to whom their lamb shank bone and their unleavened bread and their uh, bitter herbs <laughs> symbolizes. They need to believe on him and personally apply him his shed blood, just like, you know, they had to take the hyssop and personally apply it to the doorposts of their heart. People today, the Jews and all unsaved Gentiles, need to personally apply the blood of the Passover lamb to their own lives. They need to be born again so they are no longer in the dangerous position of firstborns. Then and only then are they seen positionally by God as being secondborns, and death will pass over them. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this visual aid lesson that you have given to your people. Thank you that we as Christians can say the lamb was sacrificed. Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Whether Jew or Gentile, whether old or young, rich or poor, the only issue that night in Egypt long ago was whether or not the blood was on the doorpost. It didn't matter how sincere a person was. It didn't matter how religious a person was. It didn't matter what sect of Judaism he belonged to or what Egyptian temple he attended. Good deeds don't account for anything. Degrees and pedigrees don't matter. If the blood of the lamb was not on the door, death would strike. On the other hand, no matter how sinful a person might have been, if he was able to demonstrate enough faith to place the slain blood of the lamb on his door, death spared him. The requirements for mankind, we know, Lord, have not changed one single bit since that night in Egypt. You still demand a blood sacrifice to atone for our sin. But the amazing thing is that you yourself provided that sacrifice in your own beloved sinless son, who was the only one who could and would completely satisfy your justice and the necessary payment for sin. So we thank you, Father, cannot thank you enough that the price has now been fully and completely paid. And I pray that everyone here can truly say that Jesus Christ is her personal Passover lamb. We pray, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen.